quick or able to, to listen to, this, to, to, the, to the recording, uh, we went over the, what, what's known as the Ten Commandments, or what we call the Ten Commandments. But really we mentioned how, how in the Hebrew that they're really just the Ten Sayings of God, or literally the Ten Words. And so it was a law given to, to Moses, a law given to, to the children of Israel, and really uh, it, it, it was God setting a standard for morality, not just in the children of Israel, but uh, really for, the, for all of humanity. And as we went into it, uh, we, we studied uh, just the, the, the various commandments or, 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 the, or the various uh, again, sayings of God. Um, I'm going to go ahead and just read through them for you quickly. We're not going to dig too much into them, but just as, as a refresher. And so chapters 20 start off by saying, And God spoke all these words, saying, I'm the Lord your God, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. And he says, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make you for yourself a carved image, like, any, uh, like anything that is in heaven or above or in the earth below or is in the water underneath. And then he says, for I am the Lord your God, a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. And he says, but showing mercy to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. And then he says, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And then he says, remember the Sabbath to, to keep it holy. That, that's the, the day of rest. And then he says, honor your father and your mother that your days may be long. And so we mentioned how the first of the commandments, later on we're going to read how, how, how God wrote them down for Moses on two tablets of stone. And I always wondered, man, why didn't God just do it on one long tablet? right? Why couldn't God write in smaller print so they could all fit in one tablet and Moses wouldn't have to carry around two stones and then break them? Right, but, but really we see it because God, ha God divided the, the, the Ten Commandments into really two laws. Uh, uh, the laws concerning hum human, uh, humanity and God, and the laws concerning humanity and humankind, or one another. Later on in the New Testament, the, the Jewish lawyers or the Jewish scribes of, of the law, they would, uh, they would question Jesus and try to trip him up. And, you know, and, then, and then coming to Jesus in an arrogant way, they would say, you know, in their hearts, man, if, if, if you're so smart, right, or you're so, uh, 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 if you're the Messiah, then the answer is this, which is the greatest of all commandments, right? Keep in mind that, that the Jews make a big deal about, about the Ten Commandments. They actually have a, sep a separate book in addition to the commandments. God gave them Ten Commandments or Ten Saints, and they wrote a whole other book just explaining these Ten Commandments, and they added uh, somewhere around 630 separate commandments to add to these Ten Commandments. Like, for example, when, when it says, you know, uh, keep, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, you should not do any work. The question came up, well, what's considered work? And so they added, they added a whole list of laws. You can't do this, you can't do that. Uh, if I, let's say if I have a peg leg, if, 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 I, if I use it on, Saturday, on the Sabbath, is that considered work? I mean, no, you can't use your peg leg on Saturday, it's considered work. If I, uh, let's say if I have to cross through, through, the, through this river right here because that's the only route I have to go home, is that can, it means swimming across the river considered work? Yeah, it's considered work. So it's like they added all these additional laws to the simple Ten Commandments that God gave them, right? Just, uh, just making things even more complicated. But yet Jesus in the New Testament, he summed it up in two commandments or two sayings. When asked, which is the greatest commandment? Jesus said this, the greatest commandment is this, that you would love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. He says, and the second one is, is like the first one, meaning it's as great as the first one, and that is that you will love your neighbor as yourself. And really we see that the first five commandments deal with man's relationship with God, and the second, the second of the five deal with man's relationship with man or with, with humankind. And so the second, the second of the five go, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, that is having uh, sexual relations outside of marriage. 
He says, you should not steal. Uh, you should not bear false witness against your neighbor, meaning lying. You should not covet your neighbor's house or, or, his, or his wife or his servant or his possessions, right? Or anything that, that, that is your neighbor's. And so we see that as Moses received that law and as he gave it to the people, uh, we're told that that that, thing, that God spoke to the people, and that and, and the people were fearful when they heard the the Lord speak, because we're told that as He spoke, that there was thunderings and lightnings and flashings and an earthquake, and they recognized that they were in the presence of a holy God, and so they told Moses, "Hey, you speak, you speak to God for us, not us." Is that what angel? Oh, sorry, is that what Moses said? Uh, ask God, ask God to let them hear His voice. Yes, and, and, and so Moses, Moses was, was, was pleading the Lord. He said, Lord, you speak with them, you speak with them. And the people were all for that because this whole time, keep in mind that, that ever since Moses went to Pharaoh, this whole time it's been, they've been seeing Moses intercede on their behalf you know, for God. They haven't heard God for himself. So all kinds of stuff came up like, man, is Moses really hearing from God? Was Moses really sent from God? Does Moses really know God? You know, is he just making all this stuff up? And so now for the first time, the people were going to hear God's voice for themselves. And God was going to affirm his call on the life of Moses. But yet when the people heard it, they were terrified. Why? Because again, they, they, they recognized that they were in the presence of a holy God. And so they told Moses, all right, Moses, we don't want to talk to God. You talk to God for us. Right? And then it goes on to say there in verse 22 of, of chapter 20. Jim, go ahead and read it all. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, You have seen that I have talked with you from heaven. You shall not make anything uh, to be with me, God, of silver or gold or or, or, or that you show more silver and, and sacrifice to them. He says, uh, my name, I will come to you and I will bless you. And if you make me an altar of stone, you should not build it on, you, on hewn stone. For if you use your tool on it, you have profaned it. Nor shall you go up to my steps to my altar that your nakedness may not be exposed on it. And so with that, as kind of like an introduction to chapter one. The question comes up, I really wanted, I really wanted to do a, like a two-part two part series on, on, on the study of the law. Um, because with it, the, the question comes up, well, what happens to me now that I know the Ten, the, the ten Commandments or the Ten Sayings, of, or, or now that I know God's righteous requirement? All right, because the Bible teaches uh, that, that all of us are born in sin, and really sin is uh, our, our rebelliousness against God's law. And we could go down every single one of those commandments and, and fall short in but 10 out of 10 or 9 out of 10 or, or really, or, or even 1 out of 10. But the Bible tells us that even if we fell in one area, we fell in all of it. It's not 10 laws, it's one law made, with, made of, of 10 sayings. And so the question comes up now for the believer, man, well, I recognize I can't keep these, these, these commandments. I recognize that I can't keep God's righteous rule, God, God's righteous ruling, God's righteous uh, requirements. So what happens to me now, you know, that, 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 that I can't keep God's righteous requirements? And then on the other, uh, on the other side of the spectrum, some, somebody could come up, puffs up, and say, "Well, I don't need Jesus because I've kept these commandments." All right? There's a there's a story in the New Testament of a rich young ruler who came up to Jesus while Jesus was was doing ministry, and, and this rich young ruler he came up to Jesus and he says, uh, he says, uh, uh, "Teacher, what what what, shall I, what do I have to do to inherit the kingdom of God?" And and Jesus says, "All right, just uh, uh, keep the law." And, and the rich young ruler says, I've kept all this law from since I was a baby. He says, I've kept all this law. And then Jesus says, all right, we'll both sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And it says that he walked away sad because he couldn't do that, right? And so there is, there is people, I, I've encountered people, Christians specifically, who, 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 who say or who think, I don't need to 
go to Christ. I don't need to, you know, acknowledge Christ. I don't need Jesus. Why? Because I've kept the Ten Commandments. I've kept the law, you know, and, and, and I don't need Jesus. And so the question comes up uh, th that, all right, well, what now? Right? First of all, we need to establish that, that, that the law was never meant to save anybody. The law was never meant, was meant, was never meant, was never given as a forms, as a form of salvation. If it was, then the question comes up: Well, what happens to all the guys who were born before the law? Guys like Abraham, like Isaac, like Jacob, like Adam, like Eve, right? What, what happens to those people, like Joseph? And so we need to recognize that, that that the law was never given as a form of salvation. God didn't give us His law so that we could say, "All right, uh, I got to keep this, 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 that, and, and as long as I keep this, I'm in good standing with God. My relationship with God is good, and and I'm I'm going to go to heaven." No. And so Paul actually wrote about that in the New Testament as he wrote to to, to the to the believers there in Rome. Uh, he he wrote to them because a lot of them were were, were Jewish converts. You know, there were Jews who, who who accepted Christ, they became Christians, but yet they put a heavy emphasis. On the keeping of the law and, and the rules of the law, the Sabbath and all the all the all the other uh, 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 religious requirements, right, and, and rituals, and so they would put this trip on each other and on the new believers that would come in that weren't Jews, and they would say, "All right, yeah, it's it's good that you accepted Jesus, it's good that, that you repented from your sins, but also you gotta keep the Sabbath, and also uh, we gotta go sacrifice to the Lord, so and also this is that." And the other, and so Paul wrote to them, you know, to, to, to explain to them more clearly that the law was never meant for salvation or to save anybody. And so he says this in Romans chapter seven. Uh, the thought actually begins in, in in chapter six, verse twelve. So I'm actually going to start reading from there, uh, chapter six, verse twelve. And, and it says, and he says, he says, therefore, Paul speaking, now, he says, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it and its lust, and do not present your members. As instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but you're under grace. And he says in verse 15, What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? He says, Certainly not. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey? You are that one slaves whom you obey? He says, Whether of sin leading to death, or of obedience leading to righteousness. But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine of which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. And he says, I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. And then he says this, for when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. What fruit, did, what fruit did you then did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end and in the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so and so Paul starts off. His thought now speaking about the law as, as again he's, he's setting he's setting the, the, the stage he's setting the, the playing field right and again keep in mind that he's speaking to these Jews to these believers who were, who were putting this heavy emphasis on the keeping of the law and they were saying as long as you're keeping the law right then you're righteous with God but and then there was like this other side of the spectrum that these guys were saying man well if, if we don't need the law completely if we don't need the, the, the law at all then I could just go and free and free and, and sin freely 
Right? And, so, and so Paul speaks to them and again, now he's going to break down the purpose of the law that was given to us there in the book of Exodus. And he says this in chapter 7. He says, Or do you not know, brethren, for I speak to those whom know the law, that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. For the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. But if the husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband. So if while her husband lives, she marries another man, she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is set free from that law, so that she is no adulteress, though she has married another man. And so, let me stop right there. And so Paul begins to, 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 to use marriage as an illustration of, of our relationship to the law. His intention here is not to speak about marriage, you know, but his intention is to use marriage as, as an illustration to describe our relationship to the law. But, but in using marriage as an illustration, he says, he says look, we all, he says, you guys all know that, that, that a, a woman who is married, it, you could, he could have easily said a man also, you know, but he just, he's, the emphasis is marriage, not gender or anything like that. He says, you know that, that someone who's married, let's say, for example, a woman who's married to her husband, he says, you know that, that, that she's bound to her husband by the law of marriage, meaning, Liz and I are married, right? So I'm, I'm, I'm bound to my wife because of, of that vow that we took, right? Because of that, that holy covenant of marriage. And as long as we're both alive, right? We got married until death do us part. And so as long as we're both alive, we're both bound to each other, right? Because of that law of marriage. And, and, and it's something good. It's something holy. And then Paul says, but if one of the spouses dies, then the other, the other spouse is free now from that law. Why? Because the, the other spouse, the other party is dead. And so, and, so, and so Paul is, again, he's setting that, 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 he's making that illustration, right? He says, so as long as the, the, the spouse is married you know, to, the, to the husband, as long as the wife is married to the husband, and, and they're both alive, amen, they have, that's a, this, that's a law, right? They have this mutual kind of covenant with each other, right? But if one of them dies, then that covenant is broken. And so he says this, he says, if while her husband lives, she marries another man, she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law, so that she is no adulteress, though she has married another man. He says, therefore, in verse 4, therefore, my brothers, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, that is, to him, meaning to Christ, who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. And so he says, just like the woman, just like the wife is, is, is free from her bondage to her husband when he dies, he says, so us as believers, we've been free to the bondage of the law. Why? Because Christ died on our behalf. And more than that, the Bible says that we have died with Christ, that we have been crucified with Christ. Uh, Paul will later on, he would say, uh, he says, for I have been crucified with, with, uh, with Christ. He says, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me and through me. Right? And so us as believers, us as Christians, we place our faith in Jesus Christ for salvation. And what happens spiritually is that we're already dead. We're already dead in our sins. But, but when we place our faith in Jesus, it's like the old man, the old woman died completely. And now God raised us spiritually as a new person. Right? And so if you place in your faith in Jesus for salvation, we're all new creations. That, that, that's what Paul says in, in, uh, in 2 Corinthians 2.17. He says, for... Uh, it says, for whoever confesses the Lord Jesus, he says, all things have passed away. He says, and behold, everything is made new. And so Paul says, hey, now that we've died to ourselves, right, and, be and, and, and have been raised new in Christ, he says, we're dead to that law that, that held us in bondage. And now he's going to speak about, a little bit about that bondage that we had to the law. As he goes on to say there, there in verse 5, he says, for when, 
sorry, verse, verse 5 says, For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were, which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. But now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of the Spirit and not in the newness, I mean, in not in the oldness of the letter. And then he says, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? He says, certainly not. He says, on the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law. He says, for I would have not known covetousness unless the law had said, you should not covet. Right? He says, but sin, taking opportunity by the commandment, produced in me all uh, in me all manner of evil desire. For apart from the law, sin was dead. Now, what he's saying is, he says, look, he says, he says, I was in bondage to the law. Why? He says, because the, the, the law was showing me my shortcomings. God says, you shall not lie. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. Right? You should not, you should uh, 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 um, honor your father and mother. Right? You should not take the Lord's name in vain. Now, I wouldn't have known that that was sin if I didn't know the law. We wouldn't have known that those things were wrong unless we read it in God's word and God's word said, hey, this is wrong. Right? And so, and so Paul is saying, because now I know that these things are wrong, now I'm being held accountable. It's like if I'm speeding through the freeway, there's no sign, so I'm doing about 101 on the freeway, which is normal for me, right? I'm doing about 101 on the freeway, but all of a sudden, I see a sign. I see a sign that says speed limit, 65 miles per hour. Like, yeah, whatever, I'm still gonna just keep on doing 101, right? All of a sudden, I get pulled over. As soon as I, I pass a big old sign that says speed limit, 65 miles per hour, I get pulled over, and the highway patrol says, hey man, you know how fast you're going? Yeah, 101. He says, uh, all right, I'm gonna write you up for that. And I can say, well, I didn't know. I didn't know that was a speed limit. He says, yeah, you did. It was right there. Big old post at right 65 miles per hour. Now, if that sign was never there and I would have kept on going at that speed, I would have been freed from the law. Why? Because of ignorance. He says, but now because that law is given to us, he says, we can't plead ignorance because now we have that law as, as a standard. Right? And so what the law is meant to do is it's like a measuring tape. You go and you see how, how, how tall you measure, right? Meaning, this is a measuring tape of God's righteousness. You should not cover, you should not murder, you should not steal, you should not lie. Uh, don't take the name of the Lord in, in vain. Don't uh, have any other, any other God before me. All these. This is God's measurement of holiness, of righteousness. And, and the law was meant, again, as his measurement. So I could go and I could stand next to it and I could see how I measure it in relation to God's righteousness. And I could easily go up to it and, and recognize that. Man, I fall short, right? If I'm comparing myself to God's righteousness, that is His law, I don't come close, right? I'm like way at the way at the bottom. I, I don't even come close. And so Paul is saying, so what then? Is the law sin, right? Is the law sin because the law has shown me my, 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 my sinfulness? He says, no way. He says, because if it wasn't for the law, I wouldn't have known that, 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 that I was sin. I wouldn't have known that, that, that I was innocent or that I was sinning unless I had the law. He says, so he says, the law is good. Right? Because even though it exposes our shortcomings, he says, it, it, it points us to something greater. It, it causes us to recognize that there is no way that we can measure up to this righteous measuring tape of God's, uh, of, of God's standard of righteousness. So he goes on to say, he says, he says, but sin taking opportunity by the commandment produced in me all manner of evil desire. For apart from the law, sin was dead. And so Paul says, man, there's like this, 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 this our human nature, what, what Paul refers to as the flesh. He says, our human nature takes advantage of God's righteous requirements. And our human nature is always going to look at God's righteous requirements and producing you this desire to rebel against every single one of God's righteous requirements. Right? And we were all born with that, with that sinful nature, with that sinful desire. 
you don't have to teach a baby to, to be to be covetous. You don't have, no one I don't think any parent has ever taught their kid their parents that their kids mine, 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 mine. Be selfish, don't share. Why on the contrary, we have to we have to teach our kids how to share. We have to teach our kids how to play nice, how to hey share your toys and all this, right? We have to teach our kids not to lie. Why and so why is it that that each and every one of us is born already with that with that with that nature and with that desire to I'm gonna cover up this and that, right? I was uh, watching a, a commercial came up the other day on, on I was watching a YouTube video and it was funny, I think it was for like Chips Ahoy or something. And it, and it was like it was a little cute commercial, right? Of a, of, of a little girl that she got into the cookie jar and uh, and, and right, the parent goes up and she's like, "Hey, have you been in the cookie jar?" And her face is all covered. In, like, no. And uh, and obviously, right, her face was covered in, in, in chocolate and cookies and crumbs, right? But but and I thought it was funny. I thought it was cute. But but really, it's a reality that man, you don't. We don't have to teach our kids how to lie. We don't have to teach them how to how to cover up their sin, right? They're just we're all natural born sinners. And, and so Paul's saying that there's this there's this human nature in us, you know, called the flesh, the, the the law of the flesh that wants to take advantage of God's righteous requirements and turn it against us, right? And so and so Paul's saying he's all, he's saying, hey man, he says the sin takes opportunity because of the commandment and it produces in me all kinds of evil desires. He says, for apart from the law, sin was dead, right? If there was no requirement, then sin would have no power because there's no standard. If there's no poster signs on the freeway. Psh, I'm, I'm, there's no way I can't get a ticket. Why? Because there's no there's no regulations on, on, on speed. I go 100. I can go 20. I could five. I can go five. Doesn't matter, right? So sin is dead. Sin is dead if the law is not there. But because the law is there now, sin kind of wants to take advantage of that. And so it goes on to say there in verse 12. He says, he says, therefore the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and just and good. I love what Paul says. I, I love what he says about the law. He says that the law or, or God's commandments is, is, is holy. It's, it, it, it's just and it's good. Why? Because it's meant to, to, to take us to something greater beyond ourselves to recognize that, hey man, I can't keep it. It's impossible. I fall short. There needs to be some other way. Right? But, 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 but Paul recognizes the, the beauty in God's law, the beauty in God's commandments. If you ever get a chance to, to, to read uh, uh, Psalm 119, it's the longest psalm. It's the longest chapter in of any book of the Bible, and it's and it's the longest psalm. And if and it's like right smack dab in the middle of your of your Bible. You kind of go right in the middle. You open up to, and you open up your Bible. It opens up to Psalm one nineteen. And so, if you ever get a chance to to to, to read through Psalm one nineteen again, it's uh one of the, it's the longest psalm, but it's the longest chapter of the Bible, and it's all about the Bible. And 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 it, and it and it and it just and every single one of those of, of those psalms it talks about the beauty of God's word and it calls it, you know, uh, it God's precept, God's law, uh, God's word, uh, uh, God's commandment. And so if, if you if you just if you look at it, you know if you read it, like I'm just gonna take one for example, Psalm 119, verse 97. I just open it up to whatever verse, and, and I guarantee you it's gonna be talking about God's law. It says, "Oh how I love your law! It is the med my meditation all all my day, all all day long." He says, "You." Through your commandments make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than, your, than, your, than the ancients, because I have kept your precepts. I restrain my feet from evil, from every evil way, that I may keep your word. I have not departed from your judgments. And so, again, the psalmist here, he uses different words to describe God's commandment, or God's law, or God's word. He uses law, he uses commandments, he uses uh, uh, testimonies, he uses precepts, he uses the word words, he uses judgments, 
right? And then he goes on to say, to use precepts again. So again, Paul's recognizing the beauty of God's law. And, and, and so somebody could, could easily look at God's law and say, man, there's no way I could keep that. And, and would get turned away from it, right? And see, man, God requires too much of me. But really, God, uh, Paul's saying, no, this, the, the commandment is good. He says, it's just, it's holy. So why, again, because it, it's meant to, to, to point us to something greater than ourselves and something greater than the law even. And so Paul goes on to say there in, uh, in chapter 7 of the book of Romans, in verse 13, he says, has then, has then what is good become death to me? He says, certainly not. He says, but sin, that it might appear sin, was producing death in me through what is good. So that sin through the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. And so Paul says, the, the, the commandment is, is, is holy, it's just, and it's good. He says, and so because it's holy and it's just and it's good, he says, I'm not going to disregard it. Right? But he's saying sin is taking advantage of God's law, which is holy, just, and good. Paul's saying I'm, I, we shouldn't disregard the law. And so he says this. He goes on to say, actually, there in verse 14, he says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I'm carnal. I'm sold under the sin. Right? So, so Paul says, hey, the law, it's a spiritual law. It's more than just keeping it outwardly. He says it's spiritual. It's something that happens inwardly in your heart, in the deepest parts of your being. He says, the law is spiritual, but I'm carnal. And, and what Paul is saying is that we being carnal can't keep a spiritual law, right? Because why? Because there are two different dimensions. I'm trying to, to fulfill something or keep something spiritual in my flesh. And, and, and Paul is setting the standard. He's making that distinction, that separation, saying, no, I need, to, I need some kind of spiritual way to keep the spiritual law because I'm carnal and the law is spiritual. And so he says, verse 15, for what I am doing, I do not understand. For what, for what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. And so Paul expresses something that many, that many of us, if not all of us, have, have, have expressed or experienced or even uh, voiced you know, out loud. He's saying, it, it, just this frustration that we have with, 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 with God's law in our hearts that we know what to do. We know the right things to do, but somehow we end up not doing them. And so Paul the Apostle probably the greatest apostle who ever lived, probably, probably uh, I mean, he is the, the man whom, whom God has used most, you know, other than, than, than his own son, Jesus Christ, right? But Paul the apostle, the one who planted all the churches in Asia Minor, Paul the apostle who gave us the book of Romans, the book of Corinthians, uh, who, 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 you know, who, who gave us all these other letters, Paul the apostle, you know, who, 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 who died in a Roman prison, uh, right to, to his young uh, uh, protege, Timothy, and gave us all these beautiful words. Paul the Apostle is recognizing his age. He says, he says, that. He says I don't understand what I'm doing. He says, I have this frustration within me. He says, for what I am doing, I don't understand. For what, he says, for I will to do, for what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, he says, that I do. He says, if then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. It is for I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me. But how to perform what is good? He says, I don't find. He says, for the good that I will to do, I don't do. He says, but the evil, that, uh, the, the evil I will not to do, he says, man, that I practice. He says, now if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. And so in, in short, or, or, or in, sim, in simpler terms, Paul is saying, he says, man, I don't get it. 
He says, I'm frustrated. There's a frustration within me. Why? Because I want to do what is good, but I can't seem to find out how. He says, and those things that I, I, that, 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 that I would never want to do, I end up doing. He says, and those things that, that, that I want to do, I can't seem to do. Right? And so Paul expresses this frustration that many of us, I for sure, at least a few times a day, express in my own mind, man, what's wrong with me? Right? I know what's good. I know what to do. But I just keep on falling short. And so Paul the Apostle, if, if you've ever felt that way, if you ever felt like you're falling short from God's righteous standards, if you've ever fallen, like you, you know, it felt like, man, I'm, I'm just, I'm feeling beat up. I'm not good enough. I can't keep the law. I'm, I'm, I'm just, man, this is too hard. Hey, you're, 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 in, you're, in, you're in good company with Paul the Apostle. Right, so don't let any TV preacher or any you know big big name you know a celebrity pastor tell you that that no that if you're messing up and you're failing if you're falling that you're wrong that you're the one in the sin that there's something wrong with you no right anybody who says that amen they could take it up with Paul the apostle because even Paul said hey, man what I want to do I can't do I don't end up doing what I what I don't want to do that's what I end up doing he says man what's going on right and so Paul says now if I do what I will not to do it's no longer I who do it but sin that dwells in me. And so Paul is establishing for us something, uh, it, this, this deep, uh, this deep theological truth, or this, this deep, just uh, a biblical truth. It, this, is, this is really deep here, you know, what, he, what he's saying. He's saying, look man, he, keep in mind that he's speaking to the church here, he's writing to the church, and he's Paul the Apostle. And what he's saying is that us as Christians, right, there's what's known as the sanctification process. When we come to the Lord in faith, by just simply believing what he did uh, on the cross, by simply believing in our hearts and trusting him with our lives for salvation, when we come to the Lord that way, we are what's called as justified, meaning that uh, God now sees us now, not for what I did, not for an angel and my track record, but now he sees me for, for, for his son, Jesus Christ, right? So he sees me now that I come to him, or he sees you now that you come to him, not for who you are and what you've done and how many times you failed, you failed or, or didn't fail, but he sees you now for the righteousness of Christ. Why? Because you've accepted Jesus to take your place now in God's judgment. And so that's called, that's, that's called justification. That's called the doctrine of justification, the biblical truth of justification. To put it in simple terms, you know, justification means that God looks at me just as if I've never sinned. Justification, you know, Amen. Just because of what Jesus did in the cross, and because of me putting my faith and trust in Him, now God sees me just as if I never sinned. But there's also, you know, in, in the life of the Christian, in the life of the believer, this, this this sanctification process. Justification happens immediately at the very moment that you place your faith in Jesus Christ. At the very moment that you place your faith in Jesus Christ and trust Him with your life for salvation, God sees you as just as if you never sinned, and He's going to continue seeing you like that for the rest of your life. But the sanctification process is, is different. The sanctification is kind of like, is the cleaning up process, right? Me and Liz have this old pot, <laughs> we have this old, this old pot right now at home that is, it's good, it's like for, you know, for baking, you mix, you mix all your, all your, all your bakes, your baking stuff, like pancakes, stuff like that. The other day I made ceviche and I left it in there and I forgot about it and it's been in the fridge for like three weeks. So the other day we remember, <laughs> and I'm like, oh man, we gotta wash that, we gotta wash that bowl. And uh, it sat in the sink for like another three days full of water. And we've been trying to clean it for how long? Like three days now? So it was, and so this thing is so smelly now. It smells horrible, right? But it's such a good bowl. And that we, so we don't want to lose it. So every single day we're doing something new. We covered it with baking soda. We covered it with lemon, with lemon juice. We covered it all kinds of stuff. And so every single day we're doing something different to it to clean it up. That's 
what God does in us, the sanctification process, that's what the Holy Spirit does in us. We come to him, we're justified. He says, you're mine, you're righteous. He says, I see you and I see the righteousness of my son, Jesus Christ. You could die right now and, and, not, be, and not be and and, and be a, a complete failure and, and not be you know, where you want to be. But you could die right now and go straight to heaven. Why? Because you've been made righteous because of Christ. But yet all the other things, you know, all the, the little tweaks and twerks that, that our lives kind of need, you know, God, that, it's a process that's going to continue on until the day we die. And it's a process that never ends. It's a continual washing, just like our pot at home. It's like, all right, it still kind of smells on this side. Let's put more stuff on this side. Let's rub it this way. Let's soak it up now. So that's what God is doing in our lives. But, but, and so Paul is saying, he says, now if I do what I will not to do, he says, it's not longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. And so because sin still dwells in the life of the believer, we do these simple things, right? God has forgiven us of our sin. He's cleansed us of our sin. He's, he's, he's washed us of our sin. So when he sees us, he sees us as sinless. But we are sinful because sin reigns in our, in our carnal bodies because our bodies aren't spiritual. There's going to be a day when we die and God's going to give us a new body, a new mind, right? And sin is not going to have place in our bodies anymore or in our minds. But until that day, we're in the sanctification process. And so Paul's recognizing, he says, hey man, it's not, I'm going to do it. He says, I'm not doing it, but it's my sinful desire. He says, my spirit wants to please God, but my sin, my sin wants to please itself. Right, to gratify my, my own flesh. And so he goes on to say this in verse 21. He says, I find then a law. He says, there's this law present within me. He says, that evil is present with me. He says, the one who wills to do good. Right? See, so, so, so there's this evil present within each and every one of us who will, who want to do good, who have been born again and have God's uh, uh, desires in our hearts now. And, and, and who have God's heart now in our heart, His desires. He says, but there's this, this evil in us. He says, for I delight in the law of God, according to, to the inward man. He says, but I see another law in, in, in my body, or my members, warring against the law of my mind. He says, and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. And so Paul is saying, is look, I recognize that there's like these two laws within me that are just battling out 24-7, every single second of my life. He says, there's this law of the inward man, meaning the spiritual man, the spiritual person who desires to, to please God, and there's this law of the carnal man who desires to please himself, and they're just going at it, butting heads all day long. So Paul is saying, hey, I recognize this, right? That there's two laws, war and doing battle, right? There's like world war 100 right now going on inside, my, inside our hearts. The law of the flesh and the law of, 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 of the spirit going at it. He says, Paul says, hey, I delight in God's word, right? But, but I keep on doing these bad things. And so because there's, there's these two battles you know, going on in our minds, typically we're not going to be ever 100% victorious and, and, and I'm, I'm going to wake up and I'll have a bad thought or a sinful thought. Dude, I still, I still have these, these, these bad thoughts, even though I'm right here teaching the word and studying God's word. I have bad thoughts that I have to combat all the time, right? And give them up to the Lord and say, Lord, I know that's not of you, man. That's like that's a that's the old me thinking that way. That's not that's not the new me. That's not that's not your word in me. That's that's the old angel thinking these things. And I have to combat these things. And the way I combat them is by spending time in God's word. And so uh, I've heard it. I've heard it put. I've heard it uh, put this way. You know, that's like just imagine you have like these two dogs. You know, fighting within you, right? This dog that represents the carnality, and this this dog that represents you know the spiritual man. And it's like they're always going at it. He says, and, and, and one is always stronger than the other. But if you feed one more than the other, that one's going to be the one that's more victorious more often. And so if I'm feeding my carnal man all the time and he just 
despite you know not getting into the Word, not you know not, not spending time with God, just do whatever my, my sin desires. He says obviously the carnal one is going to be stronger than the spiritual one. But if I feed my spiritual man, I mean, spending time with God, right? I'm, I'm, I'm recognizing Him, I'm acknowledging Him throughout my day. I'm calling out to Him. I'm spending time in His Word. I'm letting His Word wash my mind and my heart. His amount, the spiritual man is going to be the spiritual dog is going to be stronger, and it's going to have you know a upper hand over the carnal one. And so Paul is saying, he says, he says, so there's these two laws, right, battling out inside of me. And then he says this in, in, in verse 25. He says, at, at, he says, because of that, he comes to this like this this statement of just desperation and he says he says uh sorry verse 24 he says oh wretched man that i am his man i'm so sinful he says oh wretched man that i am he says who will deliver me from this body of death and then he and then he gives us the answer he says i thank god through jesus christ our lord and so he says man who's going to deliver me from this this this, this, this carnal desire right this, this this body of death that's just leading me to, to more spirit to more spiritual death and he says i thank god because it's through Jesus Christ, you know, who gives me that victory, right? And it's through Jesus Christ that he gives us that same victory as well. And he says, so then, with, with the mind, I myself serve the law of God. But with the flesh, the law of sin. So, and so Paul put, his plane, put the plane. He says, man, with my mind, you know, with, with my mind, I'm, 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 serving, I'm serving God's law, right? Because it's, I'm meditating on God's word. I want to please God, right? My mind and my heart, the spiritual man, the spiritual person is... Amen. He's with, he's with the Lord. He's spending time with God, right? He's desiring to please God. He's one with the Lord, right? There's no, there's no barrier in between. Just for my, my carnal man, he says, he's serving his own. He's doing his own thing, right? But there's always going to be this battle going on in between. And so Paul goes on to say, there in chapter 8, he says, There is therefore now, and, man, these are like the most beautiful words of the whole Bible. There's many beautiful words in the Bible, but this is the one of the most beautiful statements of the Bible. It says that there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. That's amazing. Now Paul would say, hey, you know what, man? Because there's now, therefore, no condemnation. How many times do we mess up? We seek to please God. We wake up in the morning and it's like, all right, God, I, I set my heart from the very at the moment I open my eyes, I set my heart to seek you. Today's going to be a good day. I'm just going to seek you all day long. It's going to be an awesome day. A couple things happen, come my way, little curveballs get thrown at me, right? The kids, traffic, work, that, whatever. And I end up doing something that, or saying something stupid that I didn't want to say or do something that, that, that I didn't want to do. And I think, man, dude, I'm such an idiot. Man, I'm such a failure. Man, I'm so messed up. Man, I, why can't I do this? And we start beating ourselves up and we start condemning ourselves for it. But Jesus said this in John chapter 3, as he was talking to, to Nicodemus and talking about the, the, the resurrection, I mean, talking about the crucifixion. He says, Jesus says, I didn't come to condemn the world. He says, but that the world through, my, through me might be saved. And so if you feel condemned, it's not Jesus condemning you. It's not God condemning you, right? It's your own flesh. It's your own carnal man. And it's, and it's the enemy of your soul, you know, Satan, bringing that condemnation. And because then Paul said, he says, now there's therefore now no condemnation at all no condemnation god doesn't condemn you i condemn myself but god doesn't condemn you says now there's therefore now no condemnation but notice there's there's a a a, a condition it's to those who are in christ jesus right why that's the key to those who are in christ jesus why there's no condemnation to those who are in christ jesus because those who are in christ jesus have been made new have been made righteous have been justified 
says to, to those who do not walk according to the flesh. Now when it says do not walk, you may think, well man, I was walking in the flesh today, right? Or I messed up today. And also when he says who do not walk according to the flesh means it's this continue, habitual, unrestrained practice of sinfulness, right? Before we came to the Lord, I trip out on some of the stuff that, that, that I used to do or the way I used to think because I had no restriction. It's like, man, some of the things that, 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 that I think about now is like, and, and that kind of, you know, that, that, that burden in my heart are things that a few years ago, I wouldn't even give second thought to. And now I think back, I'm like, man, how could I do that? Like, man, like, I can't believe that was me, right? And, and, and so now that, that we're in Christ, right? I, I'm not saying I don't do, I, I don't ever fall to those things, but now it, it messes me up. It, it, it burdens me. It, it breaks my heart when I, when I mess up. Right? And so, so Paul says, there is now therefore no condemnation. Again, and now that condition to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So again, when it says who do not walk according to the flesh, it's this continual, habitual, unrestrained, given over to your, your sinful, your carnal, your fleshly desires. It's but instead according to the Spirit. And he says this, verse 2, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin, and of death. That's amazing. He said the law of the Spirit in Christ has given me free from the law of sin and of death. Meaning that has no power over me anymore. He goes on to explain there in verse 3. He says, For what the law could not do and that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. On account of sin, He condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And so, and so Paul is saying this, he's putting it very clear for us. He says that the law, it was good, it was just, right? It was righteous. He says it was holy, just, and good. He says, but it was incomplete because the law could not be fulfilled. Not because God's law was, 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 was imperfect, because it was a perfect God who gave us perfect law, right? The Ten Commandments. He says, but it was imperfect, or it was it couldn't it couldn't it couldn't be it couldn't uh, be fulfilled. Why? Not because it wasn't perfect, but because we're sinful. And so he says, the the, the failure, the fall was not in the law, because God gave us law, and God is perfect, so anything that He gives is perfect. But he says, it, it, it came short because of us. We couldn't keep it because we're carnal. And so what did God do in order for for in order for, for that for that righteous requirement, that righteous law, to be fulfilled? What Paul says, he says, he says, and says, so what the law could not do, in that it was weak through our flesh, he says, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. Not that Jesus was sinful, but Jesus overcame sin, over, over, overcame, you know, overcame sin and overcame death by becoming a man, taking on humanity, living uh, here on earth and, and being tempted with the same things, but yet not giving over to those temptations. Right? And so God the Son took on humanity, came to earth, he took on humanity, was born a, a, a little baby boy named Jesus of Nazareth. And the Bible tells us that, that, uh, that we don't have a high, uh, so Jesus is now like our, our intercessor, we call him our high priest. And the Bible says that we don't have a high priest who can't, who can't relate to our own struggles. He says, but he was tempted in, in every point that we were tempted in as well, yet did not sin. And so because Jesus took on that humanity, uh, lived a righteous life here on earth, died without sin, now he has victory over that law. So Jesus fulfilled that righteous requirement of God in the flesh as he took on human flesh, right? And, and he made it now possible for us to fulfill that righteous law by taking on his gift, that, that, that gift of salvation. So it's like, 
I couldn't do it, but Jesus did it for me. It's like a, this is, this is not really that good of an illustration, but you know, I'm doing my best to, to describe it. And uh, you know, when, when you play softball, or, or yeah, mostly when we play softball, and, and you say, you know, you go and you feel bad, but your knee hurts or whatever, you're injured, so you can't run the bases. And so you hit a home run, and you get a runner for you, right? Hey, hey dude, you want to run for me? So they assign someone to run for you. So you hit the home run, and the runner runs, right, on your behalf. And so, because of that runner, that runner ran. He hit first, ran, hit second, hit third, and came back to home and got that home, that 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 that, uh, that, uh, that that home base, right? That, that home run. He says now, he says that batter is now. T you know, he's like you inherit that home run just because I didn't run. So it's like Jesus ran for us, right? He fulfilled the law in his flesh by taking on humanity here on earth. And he ran the bases for us, but he took on that home run, and now we inherit that home run. We inherit that righteousness by simply just believing in him, right, and trusting him with our lives. And so Paul goes on to say, there you go, that, that deserves an applause, actually. And so Paul goes on to say, I like the baseball thing. He's, he's clapping for the baseball, not for, <laughs> not for Jesus. Just kidding. He says, is that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the spirit and verse 5 says for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh but those who live according to the spirit on the things of the spirit it says for to be carnally minded is death but to be spiritually minded is life and peace i'm amazed man at the you know, I got a haircut yesterday, and I guess I'm, I'm kind of fidgety. Right? I don't know if you guys notice it. I'm kind of fidgety, can't sit still. And so I'm out there getting a haircut, and I, and my, I went to a new barbershop, and the guy's like, hey, man. Like, he's like, sit still. <laughs> and I, I can't help it. You know, I'm like looking at this, looking at that. It's, just, it's in me, right? Whatever. That's just the way I am. And he's like, are you anxious? He's like, are you worried about something? I'm like, and, I, and it's like, at the, I, know, I, know, I knew what he meant by asking me that, right? Because I couldn't sit still. But at that moment, I was able to answer him. I was like, like now, man, I have complete peace about everything. Just, I'm not worried about, it, about anything, man, about anything. And so I, I, I gave him that answer, you know, to, to why, why I was fidgeting. But, but at that moment, you know, I realized, that, man, I remember when I didn't have peace about things. I remember when I would wake up and, and thoughts about the future would plague me all day long. And I would get anxious to a point where I'm like, man, what's going to happen? What am I going to do? What's, what's going on? Right? And, I would, and they would plague me. And, 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 and it was, and really, my, my, my thoughts were just, they were taking me to, like, they were killing me. And so Paul is saying, he says, hey, to be carnally minded is death. Meaning, hey, but to be given over to, to the things of your flesh, he says, it leads to death. Says, but, but to be given over to the things to the spirit, he says, it leads to life and to peace. Right? And so Paul goes on to say in verse 7, he says, because of the carnal mind is, is enmity against, against God. Meaning it's, it's at war with God. He says, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can it be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So many people think, hey man, I could come to God by just being a good person. By, I don't need Jesus, I don't need salvation, I don't need, uh, you know, I don't, I don't even need God, right? I can make it to heaven, I could be righteous by just doing my own thing. But yeah, they, they don't recognize, you know, that, 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 that God has a righteous requirement in which they're never going to be able to meet. And so Paul says, he says, the, the carnal man, he says, hey, you can't please God, right? He can't please God. He says, the, the flesh itself can never please God. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Verse 9, But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if we've all been born again, we've all placed our faith in Jesus for salvation, then that's you. Hey, we've all been born again, the Spirit dwells in us now. So that's us. And it says, Now, 
uh, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, and if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin. But the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Amazing. But if the Spirit of Him, talking about God, but if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, then He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Heavy, heavy, heavy truth. But Paul is saying, hey, he's saying, look, if we place our faith in Jesus, we've been made dead to our old carnal desires, and God has given us new life in Christ. You may not feel brand new, right? My body hurts right now, I'm tired. But, but spiritually, a, uh, my, 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 my spirit is being renewed day by day, Paul would say. Right? And so, amazing, amazing insights into, into, into what Paul tells us about the law. Now the question will come up, and maybe you've, 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 you've asked yourself this. What about the person who's never heard God's law? What about the person who's never read the Bible? What about the person who... You know, has never met a Christian who has never, you know, been to a Christian church who has never sat under a Bible teaching who knows nothing about Christianity, about the law, about God's word, about, about 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 Judaism, doesn't believe in God. All these things. What about that person? What about that person way over there in Papua New Guinea who is so far out in the boonies that no one's ever going to reach? No missionaries ever going to go down there that far. What about that person? Is God? Righteous and, and, and condemning that person, that person dies in their sin because just because they never knew God's law, right? Would God condemn that person, you know, and, and without giving them an opportunity to know His law and to know that righteous requirement? What about that person? All right? I've asked myself that. Have you ever asked yourself that? You could be honest, right? I mean, if you haven't, then, then think about that right now, man. What about that person, right? And so Paul actually talks about this as well. Turn to Romans chapter two, if you will. Sorry about that. I didn't give her the note. Sorry, uh, turn to, to Romans chapter 2, and Paul actually, Paul actually uh, uh, talks about this. And he says this in Romans chapter 2, uh, speaking about God's righteous uh, judgment, his, his righteous requirement. He says this, he says, verse 2.12, he says, For as many as have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And as many have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. He says, for not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. And so Paul is speaking, again, he's writing to, to, to these, to these uh, uh, mainly Jewish believers there in Rome who thought, now we're good. We have the law. We're Abraham. We're descendants of Abraham. We have the law, so we're justified just because you know, we're Jews and we have the law. So it doesn't matter what we do or not do. Just because we have the law, you know, it, 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 we're made right in the, in, the, in the sight of God. Right? We don't need to go through Jesus. And so Paul is saying, hey, he says, if you have a law, he says, he, says, he, says, he says, those who don't have a law, they're going to perish without the law. And those who have the law, they're gonna, they, they could perish even, even having the law. He says, for it's not the, the hearers of the law who are justified, but the doers of the law. And so he's telling them, look, you think you're all that just because you have the law? He says, that doesn't mean anything. He says, he says you want to be made righteous if you're, if, you're, if you're attaining or if you're holding on to the, to the Ten Commandments, to the law, to make you righteous, then you've got to keep every single one of them. Not have, just having them isn't going to make you righteous. Right? So Paul tells him that. And he says this in verse 42. He says, For when the Gentiles who do not have the law, meaning Gentiles is any other people group outside of God's chosen people. He says, For when the Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things in the law, he says, These, although not having the law, are a law to themselves, who show the work of the law written, where? In their hearts. Their conscience also bearing witness and between themselves, uh, and between themselves, their thoughts accusing or else, 
excusing them in the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. And so Paul says this, he says, that person who is way out there in Papua New Guinea or whatever uh, uh, other little island or, 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 or isolated place who doesn't have God's physical law where he can read it, oh, thou shalt not murder this, this, that, and the other. He says, they're allowed to themselves. Why? Because God has written his, his law in our hearts. It says in Ecclesiastes 3, 11, I believe, uh, uh, the writer uh, Solomon, he says, he says that, that, that God has written eternity in the hearts of men so that we would seek God. And so the Bible, Paul tells us in the Bible says that God has written his law in our hearts. What does that look like? Well, no matter, interesting that no matter what culture you go to, you know, rape is always wrong. Why is that? Right? Is rape only wrong in, in Western civilized United States and Western civilized America? No. Right? You go to any culture in the world and rape is wrong. You can go to any culture in the world and uh, uh, child molestation or, 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 or things against, uh, against children are wrong. I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but it's wrong. And people can recognize that it's wrong. You go to any other culture in the world and, and murder is wrong. Right? That's why there's so many people groups fighting against each other because right? they're trying to avenge each other for someone's murder. So something in them tells them, that's wrong. It's wrong that you killed my loved one or my sibling, whatever, and, and you need to pay for that. And so God has written his law in our hearts. Even the person who doesn't recognize that, 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 God is, that doesn't recognize God's law has morality as their law. And, and I trip out, you know, I'm, a bunch of us, you know, some of us grew up in the streets. We know some guys who are kind of rough and tough and hardcore and, you know, and, and even been in prison. And, and I trip out on, on some of my, my, my friends who have been in prison and, you know, they don't want anything to do with God or, or Christianity or the Bible. And, and, and yet but they have this, this standard of morality that they hold themselves to, even be, even doing what they do, right? But yet when you're, up, when you're in there and a child militia comes in, you know, that's a no-no, right? You, you, get, you get checked by, by the homies in there because you don't do that. Right? You could do anything else. You could murder. You could steal. You could do all this. Right? Fraud. This, that, the other. Says, but you don't. You don't mess with the child. And so I, I asked one of my buddies. I'm like, I'm like, well, who told you that that's wrong? Why is this wrong? But yet, this, all these other things aren't wrong. And it's like God has set His standard, His morality. His God has set a moral code within our, our, our consciousness, and that's His law. And Paul is saying to that person who doesn't have the Ten Commandments as a righteous. You know, standard or measuring tape. He says, God has placed His law in their hearts, and God's going to judge them by that law in their hearts. Meaning that that person knew that this to do this was wrong, and they still did it and continue doing it. Is God going to judge them like that? But if that if that person knows that this is wrong, but yet they 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 they, they try they, they do it, but yet they fight against it, they try not to do it. Right? They have no knowledge of of the Bible. They have no knowledge of Jesus, but yet they are living in in, in their in, according to the conviction of their moral. Of their moral law or their moral convictions in their hearts is hey god's going to judge them for that right he's going to judge them uh justly in that right so paul says hey he says no one's without excuse he says again in verse in verse 16 that's that second part of it or verse 15 sorry he says he says uh that second part of it he says their consciousness he says their conscience are also bearing witness and between themselves their thoughts accusing or us excusing them says for is in the day when god will judge the secrets of men by jesus christ according to my gospel Right? And so that's the answer, right? That they don't have to have God's written law. They don't have to know the whole Old Testament and the book of Exodus. And they don't have to know that God, through Moses, gave the Ten Commandments. And Paul, in the book of Romans, wrote this. No, right? Because God has given us His, His law in our hearts. He's saying, and God will judge, this, God will judge those people by, by, by you know, their, their, their own convictions, right? And He will either excuse them or, 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 or not excuse them or accuse them. 
according to, to, to how they kept their own, their own convictions. Right? So God is just. God is just. He's not going to let anyone perish, you know, who, who had a real desire in their hearts to seek God, but they didn't know anything about God or the Bible or, or never had anyone, you know, to go teach in the Bible. And God is amazing. Uh, he's, covered, he, he's, made, he's made a way for, for everyone to come to salvation. And uh, I thought we were going to have more time to get into Exodus, but we're going to have to end right there, and that's fine. That's fine. You know? And, and, and I, I end with this thought, again, that uh, Paul, as he, was, as he was writing that, later on he would, say, he would say about the law that the law was meant, he calls it a tutor. He says the law was like a tutor. Right? And the law was, was, was tutoring you, and, and the, the role and the purpose of a tutor is to get you to understand this thing fully. But the tutor's kind of just doing this, right? Teaching somebody so they could accomplish this. The tutor himself is not this thing, the subject. The, the tutor is just uh, training someone or leading someone to understand the subject fully. And so Paul says the law is like a tutor to us because the law was leading us to Christ. Right? The, law, the law serves as a purpose and it, and it serves, uh, again, a, a, as this measuring tape to show us that we need someone else, we need something else, and that is Jesus Christ. And that through Jesus Christ, now that, that, that keeping of the law could be fulfilled in us. Not because we've kept the law fully, right? We're going to continue to mess up in it, but because Jesus Christ kept the law. Right? Because Jesus Christ fulfilled the righteous requirement of God, and now through Him, we place our faith in Him, we are now made righteous through Him you know, who, 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 who is righteous. Amen? Amen. Amen. I think that's beautiful. <laughs> Father, Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for your word, Lord. And I thank you.